Welcome to this week's podcast from the Eucliping Church. We hope you enjoy this message. to be here and as pastor was saying we have really been having some awesome fellowship together in fact I probably could have missed the service tonight just hearing the conversation of how God is working in his life and it's just a joy to see that Pentecost isn't dead and I'm excited for what God's doing in Brian as well I believe that uh, revival isn't coming it's already here And we have to learn how to recognize it and call it out. You know, a lot of times we're trained to see the negative, but God wants to train our eyes to see the positive, doesn't he? I want to thank you for your giving tonight. I don't often talk about it, but I was telling Pastor today, anytime I travel to go to a church, the offerings that I receive, they do not go to our general operations, our, our partners, are very kind to support us, and, and God is faithful to bring it in. We actually even tithe uh, off of our monthly giving because we believe that God wants us to be sowers as well, and we support about eight or nine different missionaries around the world. We just had a new one come on board where they are working with the trafficking situation in the Philippines, and I'm excited about that. So uh, God is using us in many different ways. I want you to stop by the book table after the service tonight. How many of you have ever been in one of the old-fashioned tent meetings? And you have, maybe you have an interest in it. My father had a, a, a tent about the size of a football field. It seated 5,000 people comfortably. The capacity was 8,000. Under that tent every night, I saw 2,000, 3,000 people in the inner cities come to receive Jesus for the very first time. So many miracles took place. And there was a season of tent ministry that really broke open the whole teaching of healing um, and power evangelism, if I can say it that way. So my dad felt led of God to ask uh, some of his dear friends to send their most popular message to him and he put it together in a collection this is cds it's not dvds but he uh, tapped oral roberts for the fourth man he also uh, got tl osborne to come on board he had jack coe's uh top message and then he called uh ralph mcpherson Now, Amy had already gone on to her reward, and by the way, my grandmother knew her, and uh, there was a, they actually lived in Mount Forest, Canada for about five years, so I've got connections everywhere, I just want you to know. But um, he sent us one of Amy Sample McPherson's CDs, and then, of course, A. Allen and R.W. Schambach. So that collection, a lot of people want that, get it in their hands, and I encourage you to do so. It will be a blessing to you. This is the book out of which I'm teaching, taught last night, and I'm teaching today. Uh, I really felt led of God because you have a pastor who emphasizes healing and miracles. I felt led of God to introduce this book to you and also teach from it because uh, we are getting past 
uh, the hang-up of my dad's generation. Say, what do you mean by that? Well, in my dad's generation, it was God's man of faith and power. He was the one who healed the sick. He was the one that made miracles happen. But God never designed it for it to be that just one man or one woman has the Holy Spirit working through them. He is initiating the church in this last day to get active and to get busy. And so when I was on Sid Roth, he asked me to address what I saw in my dad's ministry that opened him up to a life of the supernatural. I just touched on the first point last night. I'm just going to get to two more tonight. You're going to have to get the book. It also, if you knew my dad, how many of you knew R.W. Shambach or knew of him at least? It will also, you'll also read some familiar miracle stories. He loved to tell miracle stories. They're included in the book, and it's going to be an encouragement to you. You know, we had a portion of that uh, book uh, in another publication, and uh, there was a friend of mine from Norway who was reading it while she was in the hospital. God was healing her. But there was a lady in the bed next to her who was dying of cancer. She wasn't a believer. And she heard Elizabeth laughing as she was reading. She says, what are you laughing about? She says, oh, I'm reading a book on how God performs miracles. She says, do you really believe that? And Elizabeth began to tell her her story of all the miracles that took place in her life. And she said, well, could I read that book? And as she began to read, something happened. Faith came alive in her heart. Elizabeth led her to the Lord. And rather than leave that hospital in a casket, <laughs> she left healed of cancer. Hallelujah. So there is anointing that travels with books, and uh, I encourage you to do that. Now, I want you to all smile politely for me. Last year, I released my first novel. I was in uh, Washington State. I was staying with a ministry friend, and my experience there it, at the home, it was a lodge on the Puget Sound, my experience there was so healing and restorative. These retired pastors poured in to me. And I left so blessed that this story came out of me. Now, I, I was an English teacher. I've written my whole life. I love to write, but I've never written fiction, ever. Never liked written fiction. But out of my spirit came this story. And I'm going to encourage you to get it, not because it's entertaining, but because I believe it was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's called Christmas at Woodlit Cove, but it's the story of a woman who needed deliverance and got it. That's all I'm going to tell you. No spoiler alerts. What else do I have? There's other things. I have a, a devotion in which I wrote a whole week with 50 other women authors. Just go and pick up what God speaks to you. That devotional, by the way, I've used it so many times. In um, You know, when you have a person that you know they're interested, but they're not there yet. And I find a lot with young women who have children and they're working. And I would just offhanded say to them, do you ever need 
some encouragement during your day. Oh, I need encouragement every day. Well, I want to give you this book. And when you get time, you just read it before you go to bed or when you get up in the morning. And it has become a great evangelism tool. So if you know a young lady that's maybe away from God and needs to get back in a relationship, you might want to consider that as a possible gift book. Hallelujah. Can you whisper hallelujah with me? And you got to do it like I do it. Hallelujah. Pretty good. Let's do it again. Very good. Robbie would be proud of you. All right, I'm going to get started tonight. This series is called The Anointing for Miracles. And um, last night I talked about one of the keys that opens us up to functioning in the anointing for miracles is the gift of faith. And that people ask me, you know, did your father function in the gift of working of miracles? Well, the answer would be yes. But the greatest gift he functioned in was the gift of faith. He lived it. wasn't just in the pulpit. Um, he lived it at home. He practiced being positive. He hated negativity. If you came in and said a negative word around it, he changed it and made it positive. He loved to laugh. He loved to encourage. And uh, I really believe all of those things were an expression of that gift of faith in his life. And as a result, that opened the door to the gift of uh, working of miracles in his life. But tonight, I want to talk about key number two. Now, I was sharing with Pastor, I, I have ears to hear, and I believe many in the church have already been baptized in the Holy Spirit. But how many of you have never been baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues? Would you raise your hand? Don't be embarrassed. There are some that have. See, just one. Good work, Pastor. Good work. But let's talk about it because, you know, there's a whole lot of pastors that don't even want to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in Luke chapter 3, verses 21 to 23, I want to read from the New Living. One day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry. And so most people attribute this event when he went down into the waters of baptism. It wasn't the waters that was ridding him of sin, but it was the waters that was setting him apart as the high priest. It was a baptism into ministry. When that happened, the heavens opened. And by the way, they never closed again. The Holy Spirit descended upon him and this is where many people attribute him to being baptized in the holy ghost okay so put a, a pause on that now let's look at acts chapter 1 verses 6 through 8 so when the apostles were with jesus they kept asking him lord has the time come for you to free israel and restore our kingdom oh God just hit me with something. I want you to listen now. 
The apostles were with Jesus. They kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So in the first verse that we, we read, Jesus had an upon experience. And in the next one, his disciples had an upon experience. That's what he was leading them to. And when we think about Jesus and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, every work in his life, every extraordinary thing he did on earth came after that event after the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so we have to conclude that, just like with the disciples, he made sure they went to that upper room. He knew what they had to do. He knew what he was assigning them to. He knew that each one of them would be a martyr. He knew that they needed to have special miracles to be a sign and a wonder to whole entire communities. But it was not about the miracle. It was about spreading the gospel. And they would not be able to do it under their own power or strength. They had to have another empowerment, and it had to be the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I want you to say that word after. See, a lot of us want somebody to lay hands on us and give us an impartation and hope that's all we got to do. But I found out that getting a slap on the head most of the time doesn't get you where you need to be with God. It can ignite something. It can resurrect your spirit. Hallelujah. I'm not going to break into song, I promise you. I'm going to keep going anyway. Anybody else want to sing or dance or anything? <laughs> Hallelujah. Where was I? So the Holy Spirit upon us is what we need to break into a community. Let me keep going with my notes. Hallelujah. After Jesus was baptized in the Holy Spirit, Write these things down, because I want you to meditate on them. He went from immediately from there to being in confrontation with the devil. So all of us want to have these seminars on how to confront the devil, but nobody wants to get in their prayer closet for three hours. Nobody wants to tithe the hours of their day to seek the Lord and be on their face and say, I need to be immersed. You hearing me? It was after Jesus had this experience that there was an ordination day in Nazareth where he had the boldness to stand up in his hometown and say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. It says he found the place where it was written. He was specifically looking for the verse that pointed to the Messiah. And in his hometown where they knew, he knew they didn't believe him. They had seen him grow up as a kid. He had the boldness to say, 
this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. We need the Holy Ghost to say things that nobody else has boldness to say. There is a generation that needs to be addressed with the truth. We need Elijah to be raised up to call people to repentance, to draw a line in the sand and say, choose this day whom you will serve. You hearing me? But we can't do that in our flesh or we'll fall flat on our face. We've got to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to take time to read it, but I uh, encourage you to read Mark chapter 1 because it was after he came out of um, being confronted with the devil. It was after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, after all that setting of the stage. Mark chapter 1 gives us a clue after he calls his disciples, gives us a clue in the day in the life of Jesus. And the reason why I want you to look at it, it's because when the Holy Spirit had overwhelmed him, his entire day was about healing people and demonstrating the kingdom. And it opens up with him being in the synagogue, we would say the church today, And in the synagogue, he cast the devil out of somebody. Nice way to begin your ministry in church. From there, he went to Peter's mother-in-law's house in Capernaum. She was dying with a fever, and he healed a mother-in-law under the power of the Holy Spirit. So you can heal people in church, cast out demons on the street. You can heal people in the house. But then when evening came, and you read it, when evening came, people heard that he was here. They were spying out the land. And the entire town that had a sickness, I want you to think about that. The entire town sought him out. The Bible said he healed every one of them. That must have taken to at least 3 o'clock in the morning. Who knows? But see, this is a typical day in the life of Jesus. In our own strength, there's not enough coffee that can keep us going in that kind of ministry. No no amount of adrenaline. We need a supernatural impetus and alertness. We're going to get to that tonight. That shows us what God is doing and how we partner with that. Anybody want to say amen? So that lifestyle of Jesus became a pattern for him, for his disciples, and for the church. And so Jesus knew he was getting ready to go back to heaven after hanging on the cross. And so he starts pushing his disciples to the upper room for the promise of the Father. You know the story and how it goes. See, he knew there were going to be strongholds for them to face. He knew it. He knew the opposition, and they wouldn't be able to do it on their own. They weren't ready yet. I believe, by and large, today's church is not ready yet. We're getting there. The faith is coming alive. That's the first thing. But now we got to get that Holy Ghost power. You know, when I was reading that scripture, 
Lord, help me with this. I want to say it right. And this is not theological, but it was interesting. When we were reading that scripture about the apostles coming to Jesus and asking the Lord, is this the time for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? In other words, they saw his authority. They knew who he was. They wanted to make him king. They knew if he was king, life would get better. And as I was reading that, I had the fleeting thought, Lord, is this the time that you're going to restore the Ukraine? Are you going to use your authority, God, to deal with Russia? Are you going to save those people? And Jesus diverted the question. It's not for you to know the times and the seasons, but you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. And my thought went like this. What if we in America ever had a situation like the Ukraine is facing right now? where we're suddenly separated from our loved ones and we don't know when we're going to see them again. We don't have a chance to go to the local church or have the prophet prophesy over us. Would we be able to withstand in the middle of a crisis? I'm just going to answer that rhetorical question for you and say most people would be saying in anxiety saying no. But Jesus was pointing to the fact of how we handle crisis in a generation that's facing a, a move of God. When things come against the church, we need a power. We needed authority. And he gave us the answer. You shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. This is not just a doctrinal point of the Pentecostals, but this is how Jesus released his apostles into the world. It was a command, go and tarry afterward, as Joel said. That's when I'll pour out my spirit. Turn to somebody and say, we need the Holy Ghost. Oh, say it like you mean it. Write down three things. Why do we need the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I want to be clear. Everybody who has Christ living in our hearts, he's living there by the power of the Holy Spirit. We already have that well of water bubbling up that Jesus talked about. This is not a well we're talking about. This is the river. This is the river that flows out. The well keeps us going. But the river, the power, the thing that can change society, that can break through and change situation, that's the baptism of the Holy Ghost with fire. Hallelujah. Why do we need it? We need it for power evangelism, number one. We need it for a protective covering. We'll get to that a little bit later. And we need it. And I'm going to be dealing with this hard tomorrow morning. We need it for the discerning of spirits. We have a demonized society. We have a society that is confused. And a lot of times a, a society that has mental, excuse me, issues because 
of the attack of demon spirits. I'm not going to deal with it tonight. But we need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit so we can detect it. We can deal with it when we teach. We can deal with it when we pray. And that we have the authority to cast them out in Jesus' name. Are you hearing me tonight? So, that was the preface. We need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, let's get to the third key I'm going to deal with. Now, this is not in order in the book. I went a little bit out of order. But one of the outflows of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, this is the third key I'm going to mention, is spiritual perception. And I want to talk about that a little bit tonight. Any one of us who has any measure of spiritual acuity, we can recognize that the past two years that we've lived through has been nothing but a setup from hell. It's not a political thing. Too many people have made it a political thing. They haven't looked behind the veil. It's been laced with a satanic strategy that has multiple prongs of attack. Hell has tried to blanket this generation's church with a collective defeatism. I want you to know that is his strategy. And pastor would bear witness to me, any of you who are ministers, I'm I'm an itinerant teacher and preacher. Everywhere I go, I hear it from pastors and leaders. People are depressed, oppressed, ministers ready to give it up. How many people died in their family, lost faith in God, don't know who to believe, disillusioned. Well, that doesn't come from God. When you have an all-out attack against the church to get people into a state of disillusionment and discouragement, that comes from the pit of hell. And so rather than jumping on a bandwagon and talk about masks and vaccines and political parties, we have missed the boat completely. We've got to preach Jesus. He's the healing Jesus. He's the delivering Jesus. He's the joy of my salvation. Yes, he is. And it doesn't matter who's dying to the left of me or to the right of me. If they know Jesus, they're going to a better place. Hallelujah. But I have an assignment on my life to keep moving, to keep walking, to keep preaching Jesus until everyone has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was going to teach, but I had to preach just a little bit. Turn, if you would, to Psalm 137. Because you see the devil, and and some of you will bear witness even in your own life. The devil has attacked our minds, our emotions, and our spirit, man. Psalm 137, verses 1 and 2, is a picture of God's people who have been living with this sense of collective defeatism, and it's because the enemy got the upper hand and they were living in Babylon. That was due to their sin. It was a punishment that God had prophesied. But look at the condition it left them in. 
By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the willows, we hung our harps. What does that mean? We're crying, we're boo-hooing, our heads are bowed, we're not praising, we're not worship, we're out of Jerusalem, and we're sitting. Let's start with we remembered. See, that's the attack of the mind, and every one of us can relate to this. The enemy wants us to remember our sin, our failure, the times that we blew it, the times that we weren't pleasing God. He wants to keep bringing us back there. But we've got to stand on the scriptural promise that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that God has cast our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. He remembers them no more. It's the enemy who wants to keep us in a place. Why? Because it keeps us defeated. God can never use you. You're getting too old. You've seen too much. You've been in the church too long. However he twisted in your brain, he's got a strategy from keeping you from opening your mouth and telling somebody about Jesus. A strategy that's keeping you from laying hands on somebody and say, can I pray with you? God wants to mobilize us, folks. I, I had a, he had to shake me into this about 2016. I'll never forget it. I was just starting the year. I was headed out to California. I had, was on a very cramped ride from Dallas to Los Angeles. And... <laughs> I had the window seat. I like the window seat. I like to take pictures. Um, next to me comes Madison Avenue. Here's this woman. She's probably about five foot eight. Sleek black hair. Tall black outfit. High heels about four inches high. I knew that lady worked on Madison Avenue. And I, I, here's what I did. I said, she's not going to want to talk to a preacher lady from Texas. So I literally turned my body and started to look out the window. And while I'm looking at the clouds saying, aren't they pretty, the Lord begins to speak to me. And he says, Donna, can we talk about the prodigal son story? I said, yes. He said, Donna, in that story, which way is the father turned? And, I, you know, I'm not getting it yet. I said, well, he's turned outward. He's looking for a son to come home. He's, he's not turned toward the house. The other son's in there. He's, he's, he's waiting with bated breath. He's coming home. And then the Lord asked me this question. He says, which way are most pastors faced today? I said, well, they're, they're faced toward the house. They're looking at all the issues that's going on in the house. They're dealing with problems that people want to know why we got that color carpet and why did Sister So-and-so sing so, so low and, and where's that money going? Where's it going? He said, Donna, I want you to go after the prodigal. And right when he said that, the plane bumped. And I bumped right into Madison Avenue. And she starts talking to me. 
oh, hey, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Texas. You're from New York. I'm, oh, New Jersey. <laughs> what do you do? And I never answered this way. Usually I say teacher or whatever. I'm a preacher. Like, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> Not quite that way. <laughs> she says, and I quote, I hate the church. I hate religion. I said, well, as a matter of fact, I hate religion too. <laughs> what? I never heard a preacher say that. I said, well, listen, Jesus actually hated religion. He came to bust through all the false concept of religion. Religion puts a burden on people. Religion, religion puts you in bondage. He came to set people free. He was not about a rule keeping. He was about getting in right relationship with the Father so that he could rule our hearts. Hallelujah. It was a holiness that came from being in relationship with him. Well, she was in. And she started to pull out her, pour out her heart about her family, about her kids, an impending divorce. She was spilling her guts. And I listened. And I said, you know, the Lord was talking to me about you just a few minutes ago. He said, he was? I said, yeah. He told me I'm supposed to go after the prodigal. Do you know what that is? That's you. You were raised in church. You one time believed in him, but you went far away. You looked for pleasure. And, and happiness in another place. But he's calling you back in. He's looking for you to return. He loves you more than you can even imagine. By the time that plane landed, she was praying with me, holding my hands, crying out to God in front of God and everybody on that plane. Hallelujah. And I went to my hotel room repenting. Thank God, how many people have I turned my back on? How many people have I assumed they didn't want to hear anything I had to say? You had to show me there's a desperate wor world out there, and you can set us up for miracles of conversion if we'll just be in tune with the Holy Spirit. Anybody a witness? We remember, don't let the enemy get an advantage over your mind. Secondly, we wept. We wept. Here's where the enemy attacks our emotions. Now listen, I, I have emotions. I cry. I laugh. I have joy. I get angry. But I, you, we can't be a, a person that's governed by our emotions. And... There are some times, listen, we're all on Facebook. We all have prayer requests from people, and I, I try to be kind and say I'm praying and pray for them right there. But part of me wants to say, what about your prayer life? Why are you texting me three times in a week asking me for prayer? Do you have a pastor? Do you have somebody that's a prayer partner? Do you know how to touch God for yourself? That, I'm not going to say no to anybody who asks me for prayer. Don't get me wrong. But we're getting to a place where we got to grow up, folks.
And I've also found out that the enemy knows how to manipulate our emotions because if he can keep us whiny, if he can keep us weeping, if he can give us that pity party, we'll find somebody to listen. Pat us on the back. We'll snivel a little bit, and then we'll go find somebody else to cry into their soup. This is what God wants to deal with. He wants to shake us up. You say, well, that doesn't sound too loving. Listen, he loves you. There's nobody who can love you like Jesus. There's nobody who can dry your tears like Jesus. There's nobody that can take your mourning and give you a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, give you a dance in your feet like Jesus. But the way that we get to him is not through the flesh. We got to just change our, our position, stand up and lift up our hands and begin to shout unto God with a voice of triumph. And when we do, the atmosphere changes. And the devil begins to shake in his boots because he knows he can't get it over on you. Now, I have friends that can rebuke people pretty harshly. I'm not talking about going about rebuking people. I'm talking about if somebody comes to you weeping, put an arm around them, pray them through. Now, do you believe that Jesus heard that prayer? Do you believe he heard it? Well, I'm going to encourage you to do something else. I'm going to encourage you to do something else. Would you just seal the deal by lifting your hand? Go ahead. Do that right now. Both hands up. and Thank you, Jesus. Say it after me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, you heard my prayer. Thank you, God. I, I thank you that you're at work for me right now. How different would our church be if rather than wiping tears every day of the week, We'd say, okay, I, I cried with you Monday. I cried with you Tuesday. But today's Wednesday. And now we're going to start dancing and singing and shouting. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Listen, we all know we're going to face adversity in this life. Sadness comes. But the quickest way out of uh, the, that over oppression of sadness is to worship God and to recount his goodness. But the enemy wants us to forget the promise of deliverance. All right, write this down because it's important. If he can get our minds, if he can get our emotions, he's eventually going to get us to the place where God's children were in Babylon. We sat down. It's an abdication of our post. And if there, if there is anything that will put us back under the captivity of the enemy, it is giving up on God's plan and God's strategy. I'm going to tell you a story. When I started to work with my dad, I had to learn this quick. Because my dad hired me to be the general manager of his ministry. But when he first called me, I said, Dad, you know, I'll be happy to do whatever I can to help you. 
But you know, there's a call of God on my life to preach. And I mean, you've been it. Shambach Ministries, you it, RW. So how does that work? How does it work? You know, general manager, how do I get out there? What do you expect of me? He said, I'll call you back. Let me pray about it. He didn't know. Six months later, he called me back. <laughs> he said, I talked to T.L. Osborne. When I told him what you said, he said, that's a sure sign of the call, Brother Shambuck. Get her in and let her teach some afternoon services and teach some conferences. And he did. And uh, there's so many things I could tell you. But when I first started with him, you know, I, I like administration. I was pretty good at it. And there was a lot of work to do for his ministry. And so every day, I'm doing all kinds of writing and meetings or whatever. And now i got to pack my bags and go away for two weeks for a tent meeting. Drive my mother, pack the car, right? Preach in 17 services under the tent in the middle of summer in Brooklyn, the Bronx, Chicago, you name it. And I'll never forget that started to happen. I was sitting on my little blue sofa in my living room, and I kept hearing this voice. Well, you don't really need to go to the Bronx. You don't need to go to the Bronx. I said, yeah. You know, you've got a lot of work to do here. Well, I sure do. And you know people only come to hear your dad preach anyway. You're not really needed. Yeah. And you know it's just the afternoon service. There won't be many people there. Oh, yeah. I really need to stay. And then he knows how to fight dirty. He said, after all, you're just a woman. Nobody wants to hear a woman preach. Yeah especially with R.W. as a dad. And I began to hear that voice, and it began to wrap itself around my thoughts. And I remember picking up the phone, and I called my dad. I said, Dad, I really don't think I should go. I mean, I got so much work to do, and you know, you're the man. You're the man. You don't need me. You got so many preachers around you. He said, I hope your bags are packed. He wouldn't even entertain it. Yes, sir. <laughs> As I was getting ready to leave, they would all come back again, all those thoughts. I remember physically with my head to my knees. It was an oppression. And I was fighting. And, and I, I was like, God. And he said, Donna, who called you to preach? I said, you did, Lord. He said, who would be telling you not to preach? I said, yeah. <laughs> and I sat up. I said, that dirty, rotten devil. I stood to my feet. I took one of these fingers. I said, devil, I hope you're paying attention because I want you to get a front row seat in that afternoon service in the Bronx because you're going to see people come to Jesus. You're going to see a woman preach, and you're not going to like it, but people are going to be set free. Come on. And then after I got done with that, 
I started doing one of these. And I was taking the sword. I was cutting the ties. I was breaking that thing. And when I got done, I couldn't find that lying devil anywhere. He was gone. See, but God had to show me if we let him, the devil can talk us out of anything. Ask every pastor the, the lame excuses people use not to come to church. I, how many times have I heard I couldn't come to the healing meeting because I was sick? <laughs> no, seriously, where is the logic in that? I'll let you answer that. We have to recognize there is an enemy, but God has given us an antidote. I want to read from Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 15 to 21. And it's really a picture of the glory of God on earth. And Ezekiel needed it because he was sent to prophesy to those Babylonian captives. And it, you know, every time I used to read this, I thought, what in the world? But the more I see what's going on in our world, and what we're dealing with, the satanic attack against the church, I understand why God showed what he wants to do in this earth in pictures. Because he wants us to see the power. He wants us to get a glimpse of his power. Now it says, Ezekiel 1, 15 to 21. Now as I looked at the living creatures, behold, a wheel was on the earth beside each living creature with its four faces. The appearance of the wheels and their workings was like the color of beryl, and all four had the same likeness. The appearance of their workings was, as it were, a wheel in the middle of a wheel. When they moved, they went toward any one of four directions. They did not turn aside when they went. As for their rims, they were so high, they were awesome. And their rims were full of eyes all around the four of them. When the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. Wherever the spirit wanted to go, they went, because there the spirit went. And the wheels were lifted together with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Verse 21. When those went, these went. When those stood, these stood. When those were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up together with them. For the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. What God is describing is a spiritual dynamo that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you remember when Jesus taught us how to pray? He said, pray this way. Let your kingdom come let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, when you see these heavenly beings and the barrel, what it is, it's a picture of heaven coming to earth. And it's a picture of something that moves in concert with the spirit of God. So if you think you don't need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, whatever God is doing on this earth, you could absolutely miss it. 
Because you have to have that wheel in the middle of the wheel. Hallelujah. That Holy Ghost combine that turns over and over. That brings the fire of God. And everywhere the Spirit says go, you go. I believe that this is what God wants us to see today. Because in the time of great sorrow and distress, collective defeatism more than ever, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to have the perception of the Spirit that moves with Him. I can't underscore that enough. There are so many people that are moving with the TikTok crowd. They're moving with what's on social media. They're, they're, they're patterning their church and their worship after what the latest conference decided to do. They never talk about the Holy Spirit. They never get their kids baptized in the Holy Ghost. And you wonder why half the, the generation doesn't know a clue about God. I was in Cracker Barrel this afternoon, and the young lady that worked, laid it on me was Hannah, beautiful young girl. And I said to her, Hannah, you have a beautiful name. I said, do you know that's a powerful name? She said, no. I said, that name... Is, is the name of a powerful woman in the Bible. Really? I said, yes. I said, when Hannah prayed, she impacted her entire generation. Where's that found in the Bible, she says. I said, it's 1 Samuel chapter 1 through verse 4. You read every bit of it, and you'll see how God can use one person to affect an entire generation. She said, I'm going to do that. You see, listen, we have to be in tune with the Spirit. When God blows us into a cracker barrel, we have to be looking for who we're going to seed into, what God might want to open up in somebody. We don't have to be religious. We just have to relate who Jesus is and the love of the Father, and God will begin to change communities. We don't need another miracle show. We've had them. And our generation got more backslidden. I'm going to talk, talk to the wall, I think. Might get a better response. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. We've got to be careful with what we run after. I believe in miracles. I've seen them. I love them. I want more of them in my ministry. But if I ever get to the point of thinking they're, they're, the purpose of them is to build my ministry or to call attention to myself or to pad a name for myself, that's when God will sit me down hard. But if I recognize that the miracles are just part and parcel of the power of the Holy Spirit and they were given to the apostles so they can break open communities, that's where our drive should be. What are we going to do with a lost generation? How are we going to bring them to Christ? God, give me something that's visible. I want to put you on display so we can lift up the name of Jesus so people can know that you're still alive. This is why we need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. You okay? We still okay? Ten more minutes?
So, moving with concert with him on the earth. As we look into this passage, you'll see that the perception of the Holy Spirit, write these things down because I may not remember them next week. The perception of the Holy Spirit is more than detecting spirits. There are people who pride on telling you, ooh, that's the spirit of whatever. No, that's the spirit of popcorn. That's the spirit of whatever. People get ridiculous with it. Well, I, I know, I know the discernment of spirits. You've seen them, right? Please. It's not just detecting spirits. You better be sensitive to when you're in the presence of an evil spirit. You better be sensitive to it so you can deal with it. Spiritual perception is not the gift of suspicion. Too many in the church, oh, do you think that person is, you know, God didn't call us to bring division. The Bible specifically says that division is devilish. And so there are spirits that want to cause division. We've got to be careful. There are also deceptive spirits that are teaching that all you need is love. Bum, ba, da, da, da. What does that mean? Oh, all my sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. God loves me. He doesn't care how I live. As long as he loves me, I, don't, you know, I gave my heart to Jesus. You know, he understands I'm just human. And everybody sin. This is not kids saying it. This is preachers saying it. It's called a spirit of deception because people don't read their word. They, they're drawn by charisma. Spiritual perception, this is living in the Holy Spirit dimension. This has spiritual eyes, seeing what others can't see. That's why you saw in Ezekiel all the eyes. Okay? This has spiritual agility. What do I mean by that? You might be going one way, and God says, move. We're able to pivot. We're able to move with what God is doing. And that's what the wheel is about. It's always moving. Spirit goes this way. Whoop, I'm going there. Spirit goes up. Yep, going up. See, I'm going to move with what the Holy Ghost is doing. Preachers need to learn this, but also we need to know it in the home. See, a lot of times we do things out of tradition. I've been guilty of this. I saw it worked for my dad, and I think it's going to work for me. Or it worked for Brother Allen. But we live in a different generation. We ha- live in a generation that people don't have the same hooks that they had in my father's day. You know, back in my father's day, people at least went to church. They at least knew what, how to read. Most of them had Bibles. A lot of them were in Sunday school. They might be backslidden or never saved, but they at least had some kind of hook you could attach yourself to. I remember being in Acapulco and saying to the lady behind the counter, do you know Jesus? She goes, which one? 
Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Oh, no, I don't know him. In a complete religious environment, people have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. See, we've got to be people who know how to pivot from our classroom doctrine and say, Holy Ghost, give me a word. Holy Ghost, how are you going to do this? I'm moving with you, Holy Spirit. Sometimes the best thing to do is shut up and listen. You learn a lot from listening. Living in the Holy Spirit dimension. And when we do, the wheel within the wheel, this is when we begin to, begin to see the glory of God. Can I tell you a story? My dad went through congestive heart failure. He, most people didn't know it. He had a heart attack at age 58. He had um, quintuple bypass surgery. The doctors thought he wasn't going to live. He lived 20 years after it. He had congestive heart failure. He preached and laid hands on everything that moved. God literally kept him alive. But the doctor, he had a spirit-filled doctor, and he said, Brother Shambach, three months. You can't preach. can't lay hands on anybody. I want you to rest. R-E-S-T. You got it? Mm-hmm. And if you preach, you're going to have to sit down when you preach. He said, the devil is a liar. <laughs> but I'll rest. And I said to him, I said, Dad, listen, while you're resting, why don't you let me take the tent out to Gallup, New Mexico? I'll put it up, and we'll see what happens. Really? You want to go to Gallup? Sure. Oh, Lord, why did I say that? I went without dad this time, and I, I found out what it is to carry a tent meeting. I'm not talking about financially. I'm talking about, yeah, the spiritual, the invasion of demonic forces. I mean, I was getting 50 people saved maybe on a good night, but, you know, $50 came in. And I, rem I remember dad calling me on Tuesday night. We started on Friday and ended the following Sunday. He says, did you make budget yet? No, but I'm working on it. Keep going. And I was out there in Gallup, and I, I remember saying to our worship leader, I said, I wonder if they understand English. Because they, their arms are literally folded, no response, no amen, no hallelujah. There might, there might be 35 people at the altar, 50 people, whatever. So dad calls me on Thursday. I'm coming out there. I said, Dad, this is a high-altitude place. You're not supposed to be preaching. You're supposed to be resting. He said, I'm coming out there. Tell the people I'm coming. I'll be there Friday night. Yes, sir. So he's sitting on the platform. Literally, the tent was completely full, and the parking lot was completely full because they knew RW. And when Lance began to sing that night, I leaned over and said, they understand English. <laughs> then Dad says, okay, give me the mic. I said, now, you're not supposed to be preaching. He says, I'll just test it. Right. 45 minutes later, he starts out with, you shall receive power. Like, here we go. He preached. Now, I really believe God was showing him something and me at the same time because when he gave an altar call with congestive heart failure, 
750 people answered that answer, altar call. Wow. There was such a swarm of people, everyone on the team was jumping over people to get new converts cards to them. It took us about an hour to get everybody recorded. And then he said, okay, go back to your seat. He said, I'm not supposed to lay hands on anybody. I'm just going to stand up here, spread eagle, interceding for you. But Donna's going to lay hands on you. Okay. So line up. Well, the first one in line was somebody in a wheelchair. One after that, there's a couple people with walkers, people on crutches. And I'm like, okay, here we go, Lord. He said, let's pray. So I just demurely took my little hand and put it on the head of the person in the wheelchair. And I hear in my right ear, get him out of that thing. And I leaned down to touch his elbow, never touched him. That man jumped out of that chair. All of a sudden, and I'm saying this for a reason, because sometimes we think it's about us. And we're all learning. All immediately, a shaft opened. I mean, I, I felt it open. The glory just came down. And all I had to do was pull the next guy through. The next guy threw his walker away. The other guy threw his walker away. The next one threw his crutch. I'm just standing there saying, come on. It's right here. Come on. Everybody was getting healed left and right. See, God was showing me something. Every once in a while, I'll turn around. Dad's hands are in the air. The glory of the Lord makes our work see. And we all are anointed. We have an abiding anointing. We all can lay hands on the sick and see him recover. But I believe if we can ever get this truth in our spirit, that we need to be fully immersed in the power of the Holy Spirit, that's when we're going to see a revival like we've never seen on this earth. The eye of the Spirit, I'm not going to go into that story, but the eye of the Spirit is like what Jesus said. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing of himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. This is not seeing with the natural eye. It's a knowing. Sometimes for me it happens. I see a glow on somebody. I know I'm supposed to minister to them. And somebody. I, sometimes I see faith on a person. I know I'm supposed to go to them next. It's seeing with the eyes of the Spirit. And then, this one I really had to learn, and I think everybody does. It's the vocalization of the Spirit. What we see, we've got to call forth. It's not enough to know God's doing, but if the miracle's going to take place, we've got to call it forth with the Spirit of faith. So Jesus said to them, Have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain be removed and be cast into the sea. It does not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. That's Mark 11, 22 to 24. So we see with the eye of the Spirit, but we vocalize what we're hearing with the ears of the Spirit. That takes more faith. 
because now you're putting your own pride on display. What if I fail? What if I don't say the right thing? What if I'm wrong? What if it doesn't happen? Has anybody ever heard those things? I have. But we have to learn to begin to speak them out. I'm going to tell you another story because I think it bears out the, the point so much. Because a lot of times we're just afraid to say what God wants us to say. I've been praying that the Lord would use me more in the prophetic gift. And as I was praying and fasting, the Lord would begin to show me mental pictures in my hotel room. I mean, literally, one time there was a cluster of grapes. One time I saw a man packing a suitcase. And I saw other things, and the Spirit didn't make a sense to me at all. Nothing. But I just trusted that the Lord was showing me something. And I said this to him, if I don't remember this in the service, then I know it wasn't you. But if it's you, bring it back. I'm remembering. I was in the service in Texas. I think I was right around this area. It might have been Brian, come to think of it. And um, there was an unusual move of God. The worship was so strong. The spirit of God was heavy. And all of a sudden, I did something I don't ever do. The pastor was leading worship. I stood up. And without even thinking, the pastor did this. And he handed me the mic. Now my heart's thumping because I'm testing the waters on this. But God showed me five people in my hotel room doing something. The man packing a suitcase, the man getting on a bus. And so I called them all to the front. I'm shaking like a leaf. And I said, I believe that God has a word for each one of you. And I started with the packing the suitcase guy. He starts crying and bawling and falling out. And I said, okay, thank you, Lord. Then I got the get on the bus guy, you know. He starts crying and whatever. I get to number five, and I knew what God had showed me, but I did not want to say it. That's why I saved him for last. And I said, sir, I said, the picture God showed me of you, I don't even want to say. The only reason I'm saying it is because of obedience. And I said, sir, I see you wrapped in grave clothes. And when I said it, everybody in the congregation gasped, collective gasp. I'm like, I said, I see you wrapped like the enemy's trying to take you out. But God wants to set you free from those grave clothes. And he literally, his, his shoulders just started to heave. And, and something in his heart that had been so callous just began to break. And then the tears started to come, and he fell on his face. He is crying out, and the whole church is weeping and crying. I didn't know what in the world was going on, but I just obeyed God. After the service, the um, pastor asked me, he said, did you know that man? I said, how could I possibly know that man? I just got here. He said, well, I didn't think so. He said, do you know that two months ago he walked into his daughter's room and he, he saw her with a loaded gun to her head, and he made a move toward her to stop her, and she shot herself. He saw her brains get blown down. He saw her die. He buried her, and he hasn't been the same since. 
And I said, Lord God. And then I gasped. See, we don't know. I'm looking at an audience. I don't know what people are dealing with. I have no clue. I might think they have indigestion. I don't know what, you know, they just saw their daughter commit suicide. How do I know that? But the Holy Spirit knows that. And God wants to set them free. God wants to do surgery on their hearts. But we can't be a church, and I'm including myself in this. We can't be a church that's got one foot in the Holy Ghost and one in party time. There was a, there was a man of, great man of God who told me one time, and I, I've heard his voice many times ever since he said it. He said, Donna, I see what God has on your life. And then he said, he was 80-something years old when he said it, put his finger in my face, he said, no foolishness. I said, yes, sir. I wonder what he meant by that. Because I, I thought I was sanctified. But when he said it, God began to deal with thing after thing. Strip me. Because it's not about me, my reputation, my ministry. It's about people that are in dire need. And if we don't rescue them, they're on their way to hell. That's what the devil wants to do. He wants to take people to hell before they're there. That pastor called me, I think it was two months later, and he said, that gentleman just passed away. I said, what? He said, but listen, he died born again. He died having repented of his sin. He's in heaven tonight. So, and that just really rested my spirit because God knew he was that close to eternity. That close. God used me in that way many times. And, and I, I want to just plead with you folks that we have to be people, listen, that are led by the Spirit of God. I could go on and on and on. Why do we need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Because Jesus commissioned us to do the works that he did and greater works. Put God on display that people might know who Jesus is. How did Jesus do? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost who went about doing good, right? Everybody who was oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. That's what he's commissioned us to do, but he did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to pray tonight for every one of you. I, I don't know how many of you I'll lay hands on, but I really feel that God wants to blow over your spirit tonight with a fresh wind. He wants to ignite in you a fresh desire to seek him. I may pray for people, lay hands on people, touch you. If, and by the way, if there's a miracle that you need, you can let me know when I walk by you. Thank you, sir. But how many of you would say, just by lifted hand, you'd say, Donna, I want to do the works of Christ, but I know that God's got to do a work in me first. 
How many of you would say that? He's got to work on my faith. I, I need a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want to walk away tonight with a new unction of the Holy Ghost. If that's you and you want my prayer, I'm going to ask the worship team to come and ask you to come forward. Here's how I like to work. If you would form a shoulder-to-shoulder line across the front, wall-to-wall, that gives me walking room, and I can minister to you. Come now. Stand to your feet. You want a, a new, a refreshing in the Holy Ghost. All I ask is yeah, shoulder to shoulder. Give me some room to walk. That's good. Right about there. All the way to the wall. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Just begin to put your hands in the air right now. And just if you have a prayer language, and you know how to pray in the Holy Ghost, be bold. Just begin to release that river of life. The Holy Ghost is here right now. He's doing it. He's already doing it. I feel it so strong. All that you need is in the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we stand before you. We say, weigh out our hearts. Weigh out our thinking. Rid us of every bit of worldliness and the flesh, God. We repent of stinking thinking. I command the chains to break over our minds. We've been on a mental lockdown. I speak to oppression. I command it to go in the name of Jesus. Every lying spirit gone. In Jesus' name. Every force of resistance that's come against God's people. That's tried to keep us in lockdown. And shut our mouths. Hear us roar. Come on, I want you to roar in the Holy Ghost tonight. Roar. Kila Baroshi. Holy roar. Holy roar. Koremandoro. You will pour out your spirit on our sons and our daughters. On our sons and our daughters, on this generation, they're coming back. They're coming back. Where we've been crying over our children, we're going to start rejoicing in the Holy Ghost because they're coming back to the land of their inheritance. Setting them free. Setting them free. Holy roar. Holy roar. There's a might coming into you right now. There's a holy might. There's a strengthening. The might of the Lord. The might of the Lord. 
The might of the Lord. The might of the Lord. You break every stronghold. You break every stronghold. Broken in Jesus' name. Come on, you're getting quiet now. Come on, let the Holy Ghost lay his hand on you. Supernatural strengthening. New life. New life. New life. I want you to let him give you a new tongue right now. Let him give you a warring tongue. Let him give you a warring tongue. A declaration. Come on, begin to speak it out. Ketsura, Trichaka, Danzato, Hitele, Moroso, Hitala, Sensato, Rabaka, Hidesi, Uroso Tushi. Break it open in Jesus' name. Power of the Holy Ghost. The power of the Holy Ghost. The power of the Holy Ghost. Oh, Robosi and Oro. He rabasura bakora. He landa shokoro. I want you to put your hands out in front of you, open palms. I'm going to come and smack you on the hand. I want you to receive an endowment of power from on high. And when you sense the Holy Ghost hit you, and you know there's something new going on in your spirit, man, I want you to dance like nobody's looking at you. I want you to dance on the head of the devil. I want you to dance on the head of that thing he's used against you. I want you to dance on the lie. I want you to dance on the sickness. Dance on the financial problem. Say, devil, take this. I, I refuse to be oppressed, but I am called of the Lord. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I'm blessed going in. I'm blessed coming out. I'm blessed in the city. I'm blessed in the country. I refuse to be oppressed because I'm blessed. Are you ready? Are you ready? Come on, roar in the Holy Ghost a little bit. Receive, 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 receive. Hands up.
fresh wind of the Holy Ghost in my spirit. I know my assignment. Come on, praise him for it. Oppression's gone. Chains are broken. In Jesus' mighty name. If somebody wants to, somebody wants to give testimony, is it Pam? Pam, come here. You told me something even before I preached tonight pastor laid hands on me. Tell them, tell them what you told me. When I came in, I had a pain right up here. And when he called us forward, I came up and he laid hands on me. And it's not been bothering me since. Woo! All that dancing and running and yelling. Who does that? Who does it? Who else has a testimony? What's God done? Anybody? Can you articulate it? My shoulder pain is gone. Hallelujah. Who felt some type of a breaking of chains in their life? Right here and right now. You just sense God breaking change on your, in your spirit. Can you articulate that for us? No, there were just some things that were kind of holding back. joy of the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Listen, if you don't have a church that you normally go to tomorrow morning, come back because I believe God is building something. He's teaching us. He's training us. And I want to deal with how we confront the devil. I want to talk a little bit more about it in depth. That's what I'm going to be doing tomorrow morning. What time's the service? Ten. Pastor, I'm going to turn it back to you. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram or Facebook or visit www.equippingchurch.us.